How should you console someone after a loss? Welcome, my Mere Mortalites, to another round of the book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but also this one where I dive deeper into the books that I'm reading to give you the juicy information that is within to extract some themes you might not have realized and to also understand about the dying and death process. Indeed, we do have On Grief and Grieving by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler. So this book was published in 2005 and it's about 230 pages in length. It took me four, four and a half hours to get through in total. It's a description of the grieving process after a loved one dies and what someone or what you might be feeling. And so in particular, it examines the common variables of what makes each experience unique of what distinguishes it from everyone else's. And it's not so much advice per se, and it's, it's more of how to understand and think about the dying and the dying process. So you'll find within lots of miniature examples of people who have lost a loved one and their specific circumstances. And you're not also going to find things like hard stats or data. It is very much a subjective experience talking about emotions, feelings, and considerations. So there is seven parts to this book in total, these being the five stages of grief, the inner world of grief, the outer world of grief, specific circumstances, and then the changing face of grief, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, my own grief, and David Kessler, my own grief. The last three being relatively short, they only make up about 30 pages of the book. And the rest are very much talking about the outer world. So this is examining anniversaries, sex, letter writing, holidays, the inner world that's more about isolation, fantasy, resentment, the afterlife and specific circumstances, children, multiple losses, Alzheimer's death. Uh, there's quite a few that are contained within. So who were the authors and what made them, I suppose, special about knowing about the grieving process? Well, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, she was born in 1926 and died just before this book was published in 2004. She was a psychiatrist from Austria and she wrote a very well-known book called On Death and Dying, which contained within the Kubler-Roth-Gross model. And I'll talk about that soon. Uh, David Kessler, he was born in 1959, still alive to this day, and he's an author and, and in particular specializes in hospice and palliative care. And so both of these two combined to write several books together, this being one of them, another being uh, Life Lessons. And in particular, they both had this um, care, this deep understanding of, of the dying process of grief and, and a lot of real world experience with people going through all of these processes, as well as, you know, their own process, such as when uh, the book was being finalized, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross was also uh, going through the final stages of her life after suffering strokes and paralysis and all sorts of other uh, unfortunate things. So let's get into the first theme, and that is Dabda, the five stages of grief. So what the hell does that mean, Dabda? Well, first of all, we'll, we'll talk about that. So it's uh, the five stages which she came up with, and these are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. You might have heard of this before. It is a very common model or something that has been uh, very widely spread. So uh, what is it? I guess it's an example would just be, you know, someone goes, uh, has a loved one who dies. What's a very easy example to show this? Well, first, they might be in denial about this. I can't believe my, my loved one died. They might be angry about this. How dare that person, you know, hit, hit them with their car? How dare God allow this to happen or things like that? There's bargaining. Oh, maybe if I do things better, uh, they can come back. Or maybe if this had happened, 
this would uh, occur, sorta, sorta, sorta. Depression, this is kind of where you're, you're just feeling so bad, where you're in the depths of, of hell, you know, figuratively, and and it's, it's just an all-consuming loss that you feel. And then finally, acceptance. You can somewhat accept their death, even if it means that you might not be the same as you once were, even if things will never be the same, you can find an acceptance. That's basically the, the um, process. Now, this was originally uh, conceived in 1969 in her more famous book, I suppose, on death and dying. And originally it was for the people actually dying who were going through the dying process. And so this was not in the example that I just provided of a loved one dealing with someone uh, uh, of, of a person experienced a loved one dying. It was more a person is actually dying you're going to relate this to your own experience denial oh, i'm not actually dying anger how dare god allow me to die that that sort of thing uh, and this is expanded to grief and even life-changing events so david kessler in 2020 uh, had a little short paragraph about how you could somewhat see how people experience this with COVID. you know oh that stuff doesn't exist anger at it this is going to change my life etc etc so it's very much a framework and I'm going to jump now onto page seven where they explain in their own words uh, what what they think of this, the five stages. So the stages have evolved since their introduction and they have been very misunderstood over the past three decades. They were never meant to help tuck messy emotions into neat packages. They are responses to loss that many people have, but there is not a typical response to loss as there is no typical loss. Our grief is as individual as our lives. The five stages, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance are part of the framework that makes up our learning to live with the one we lost. They are tools to help us frame and identify what we may be feeling, but they are not stops on some linear timeline in grief. Not everyone goes through all of them or goes through in a prescribed order. Our hope is that with these stages comes the knowledge of great grief's terrain, making us better equipped to cope with life and loss. So we very much see this as a method for interpreting confusing feelings or for understanding what is going on. So it's, it's not particularly a prescription that needs to be followed. And you can see how people who have heard of this before uh, can't understand why a, a person is still in the anger phase and they haven't moved on to the bargaining phase. Or, you know, what's going on with this person? Why are they so depressed that they, they should be going through the five stages of grief, but they've been in this depression for the last four years. These are some of the, the examples that you'll see within this book. So in, in themselves, they're, they're, they're really showing at the start, this is pretty much the first page of the book. Hey, this is a framework. It's not a, a, a solid rock solid thing where you can put a time limit on it or a timeline, you know, clock's ticking. We need to move to the next one. No, it's, it's more about understanding and how confusing feelings that you might be feeling after a loss, uh, after a loved one dies, such as, uh, you know, maybe you are wanting to have sex or something like that. And you're thinking like, oh, I should be grieving. Why am I wanting to have sex? You know, this can be put into maybe the denial category and you're trying to, you know, alleviate these feelings that you're having by denying it, by focusing on something else. So it's very much um, interesting to, to ponder, but there's also a lot of limitations to this. And so there isn't actually any research on it. The, as I mentioned at the start, there's no stats or data indicating 
that people are going through this. This was a model she created and it seems to have resonated with people and it seems to have gained a, a, a lot of steam and a lot of mm, people acknowledging it. But it doesn't mean that there is actually hard data or, or it's like a truth of the universe. It's not like it's the, a universal law perhaps that, that can come from this. So um, one of the things that really has seemed to happen with this is it seems to suffer from concept creep and this is a usually applied to words uh, regarding harm such as trauma which have expanded over time and are not not just mean physical trauma anymore but have expanded to mental mental or bullying or things like this uh, so it seems like her her five stages has seemed to expand you know it's not just a a person dying it's what uh, someone might be grieving and then it might be what a uh, someone experiences after a, a big event of some sort and now you know what society might feel it seems to suffer from this ever encompassing type of growth and then it also experiences this kind of catch-all thing it needs if, if we have a framework it needs to be applied in every single case and you can see uh, that the limitations from this are pretty apparent because in her very first words or their very first words of the book they're explaining how you know it's not meant to cover everything it might not describe everyone's process uh, you know, st steps might be skipped, those sorts of things. So you can definitely see that the the five stages of grief and the, these five stages, yeah, you, they, they can't be taken at literal face value that everyone is going to experience them. No, it's a framework and it, you might fit into the framework, but you might also not. Uh, this is getting us now onto our second theme, which is consolation, using compassion to help others. So I explained in how there was kind of two parts to this book. There was the inner world and the outer world of grief. They make up the vast bulk of, of the book. And I think this is somewhat mm, similar to how there's kind of two parties to grief. There is the person who is actually experiencing it, i.e. myself if a loved one has died. And then there is also the people who are around me. So this isn't explicitly said in the book, consolation, but I, I feel this is somewhat of what a lot of the book is about. Uh, and a lot of the stories, probably about half the stories within here, aren't just of how an individual is experiencing the loss of their loved one. It's about people interacting with this person and these people being friends, other family members, acquaintances, colleagues, hell, even just randoms on the street and how they have an impacted someone who is going through the grieving process in both a good way and perhaps in a negative way. And most of the examples in this book were of, of neg negative and, and how uh, people either trying to help or not trying to help would compound a situation and make a person feel even worse than perhaps they were originally. So I think we're, with consolation, you, we've got to start with compassion. So it's uh, feeling for another and it, this is a motivated by suffering. So uh, that's kind of literally the definition of compassion. Uh, it's it's feeling another's pain or feeling for another and and wanting to try and enact on this and then consolation is the actual enaction uh, enacting on on this to alleviate that other person's suffering. One of the critical pieces is is it to help them or is it to help yourself? Because she talks so many times or they talk so many times in this book about how the you'll come across this situation and we just seem to be unable to. Uh, let a person wallow in their grief somewhat. You know, if someone's crying, 
it is a emotionally draining experience to be with that other person in the same room or to experiencing those same feelings because we do have this this compassion, sympathy, empathy, call it what, whatever you want. Uh, in this case, it's it's very much connecting with that person and it's arising negative feelings, pain within yourself. And a lot of the consolation that people try to do isn't getting to the heart of, of helping them. It's more trying to help yourself because you don't want to feel the bad thing. So you're trying to force them to, to feel better more instantly. Why are you still pining over your lot, your husband who died a year ago? You know, it's time to move on. It's time to get out in the dating scene. And, you know, me being around you is, is, is making me feel bad, that sort of deal. So you definitely have to recognize if you are interacting with someone who is going through a loss or, or is grieving, uh, you got to make sure, are you doing this to help them or are you doing it to help yourself? And if you're doing it to help yourself, uh, you might want to take some second thoughts about how of, of actually going through whatever uh, plan or advice or whatever it is that you're suggesting. So there's quite a few factors that go into this. And one of the things that really jumped out at me was this individuality, understanding the individuality of this. So I'm going to jump here onto page 199 where it's talking about uh, bereavement groups in particular. So she says... Sudden, uh, sudden death support groups for survivors are wonderful, but few and far between. Most people have a bereavement group to go to, which, as we have mentioned, shows how universal the feelings of loss are. One of the traps of a bereavement group is the discussion of which death, death was worse and who suffered more. One participant might say, at least your mother didn't have to suffer and you didn't have to watch her body being slowly destroyed by cancer. Another participant might respond, but you got to say goodbye. At least you knew. I'd have given everything I had for 10 minutes to say goodbye. So this is comparing uh, someone who is having a loved one dying from cancer very slowly and you see their pain and whatnot versus someone who gets in a car crash and you d never get to say goodbye. You never get to have that last uh, word with them or, or say that you love them or things like this. So we all know comparison is the thief of joy. And in this case, you know, <laughs> Comparison is the double thief because they're comparing negative things in, in, in any case. But what you can see is that every death is individual. And so what you might think would be better in a better situation, would you rather have a loved one dying slowly versus fast? For one person, they might wish the other one. For other, they might miss, uh, wish the other. And so you really got to get into the head of this person or um, try and understand from their point of view, what is it that is causing their grief in particular? Is it not being able to say goodbye? Is it having to endure their suffering and seeing that for so long? So many other things, factors that need to be taken into consideration are time. Time seems to be this universal thing where uh, if you are looking at someone going through the grieving process, it's, it's tempting to want them to do it faster. Whereas this could take years, decades, it could uh, be uh, right at the start or it could have a delayed onset, such as the case for maybe kids who don't have the ability to process these feelings when they are seven years old, when their mom dies, and then when they're 17, they can experience it. Or such as uh, one of the stories in the book was talking about how a man uh, uh, lost his brother and it wasn't until he hit his, uh, at the age of you know 21 or something like that, it wasn't until he at the age of 50 something and his own son um, reached the age of 21 where he realized, oh my God, you know, my brother, he had 
all of this life I've had of him, I can look at my son and now I can fully appreciate he never got to experience all the things that I have up to this age, meeting a wife, uh, you know, meeting a girlfriend, making a wife, having babies, progressing in your career, um, you know, experiencing the world, traveling, uh, feeling the loss of another one, all of these sorts of things. It's, it's time. Time is a, this kind of factor that moves in and out and goes back and forth. Another one is clear communication. So many of the problems seem to be with regards to, uh, I'm not going to say anything. I don't want to bring it up and hurt their feelings or something like that. Uh, if you're, uh, many people don't want to do it and then this can be seen as, you know, inconsiderate by perhaps the person who is grieving. And so this, this happens once again, a story in the book, a young man who was going to school with his teacher, his teacher ne never brought up the death of his mother, which had happened. And so they never talked about it. And years later, he held this resentment towards the teacher who he thought he had a good connection with, who he thought cared for. And, but the teacher seemed to know, show no apparent um, distress or consideration for him going through this, you know, his mother dying, whereas the teacher was just not wanting to bring it up because he didn't want to hurt him more. So it seems like clear communication, perhaps saying a little bit more than is, 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 is necessary or, or speaking those feelings which are contradictory, which are confusing, which might not make sense. Uh, it seems to be the process of, of discovering them, of finding them out, of labeling them, of, of sorting them out. It, it happens through this process of, of communicating with other people. And so it's better probably to have a bit more communication rather than too little. Uh, but once again, you don't want to get to the boundary point where you're pushing it too far and you're, you're trying to force someone to feel things that perhaps they're not feeling. This is also the, the, the tough situation. Accepting change is another one. When someone's going through the grieving process, you might just have to accept they're never going to be the same as they once were. They might not be this bubbly, spirited person and it might be decades until they, if ever, that they, they feel the same. If, if you lose a child at the age of four or six or, or eight um, years old or something like that, it's possible that you'll never, you'll never fully recover from that and they might always be in the back of your mind. This is, this is a possibility. So uh, if you're seeing someone who is going through a change, you might just have to accept that person is not going to be the same as they once were. So all of this comes to, I guess, the main factor of consolation, which is support. The utility is the key. And this could result in unexpected or even uncomfortable situations for yourself. If you think that your partner shouldn't be grieving, uh, should be grieving after the loss of their, their mum and that, that partner then wants to have sex the very next day after the, after the death, uh, or, or, you know, your parents, there's two parents of a child who dies and the father wants to have sex with the, the wife to feel some connection to, um, you know, feel like there's something real in this world because he's in this deep, dark place. And then all this she is thinking is like, my, my baby child just died and all you want to care, you think about is sex of having some pleasure, like what the fuck's wrong with you? The, another situation in the book, you can see how, this could be an, a very uncomfortable, unexpected situation. Other examples are of a child who misunderstood of what a headstone is. They thought a headstone is where after the, the grandma has died, you know, they chop her head off and that goes into the headstone. And so this can cause all sorts of 
um, you know, some somewhat humorous, but also uh, conflicting and un- not understanding uh, a child. Their, their dad dies of cancer and she has the astrological sign of cancer. So she thinks her dad died because of her. You know, this is the, the sort of thoughts that a child can have and they might not make logical sense, but children aren't particularly logical. So, so all of this is getting to the, the idea that if you're consoling someone, you need to be very understanding. You need to unex, uh, expect perhaps some unexpected things and that it might be uncomfortable. And the best ways to do this are generally giving time of having clear communication with that person and perhaps even just accepting that they might not change and then understanding each individual's uh, grieving process is, is, is an individual because their loss is an individual. These circumstances are, are unique, all of these sorts of things. So I'm going to jump now into my own observations and takeaways. There's a little bit of spirituality in this book. So if I go over to here on page 108, uh, she's talking about how people are just experiencing uh, after death what what you'll experience. So uh, after death, you will also experience a review of your life. So this is where she's saying the dying person, the person who has just died. Uh, you will review it not in the first person, not as you experienced it in life, but you will review it from the perspective of how you everyone else experienced you. You'll feel all the consequences of your actions. You will know all the pain and more important, all the love and kindness that others felt from you. And uh, she goes on to talk a bit more about um, in other sections about God and re- reincarnation. Uh, all of this is contained somewhat in the afterlife section of the book. Uh, you know, for me personally, that you can't verify any of this. There's there's uh, there's no indications of of people after they have died that there being any consciousness around at all. So. Uh, it's very questionable in my eyes, but the point of this, I guess, is to say, even in this section, all of this was kind of couched in the idea of the afterlife, ideas of God, of spirituality, or all not all ties back into consolation and support and individuality. Is this a tool that can help this person? Is the five stages of grief a useful tool for them? Is this going to help them? No, then, then you know, there's, it's not worth thinking about or pondering anymore or trying to fit them into a box. So even though I personally uh, think some of the things she was saying in there are probably wrong and don't make so much sense and don't have much backing it up, you know, that, that's fine. And there's not a whole lot of it in this book. Most of it is talking about uh, individual feelings as a human and not expanding that into deities and other life and things outside of the direct experience that I can feel and that you can feel as well. So another just observation on my part was I've never experienced a full loss like this. I've been lucky enough to live my 31 years of life without having a very close one uh, loved one dying with me of, of even, you know, seeing a dead body really in real life of, of, of experiencing this emotional trauma to this kind of next level and high high level, um, so I'm somewhat in the wild with all of this. So these are my interpretations of what she was talking about in the book. I have no personal experience of of going through grief, um, anything where I can say that I I was grieving. Um, yeah, so just keep that in mind. <laughs> and with that, I'm going to go to my summary. So much like Dabda, the denial, angle, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, 
this book is a useful tool. So I doubt it will help reduce the grief that you will find after losing a loved one, but I think it can uh, assist in reducing the additional pain that can come from other people inadvertently worsening your own grief through trying to force you to feel things you're not feeling or not understanding or things like that, um, or inadvertently helping hurting others when you are trying to console them. So I think there are some useful tools on both sides of that for the person who is going grieving and also the person who is trying to console someone who is grieving. Uh, once again, there's not much advice per se, but I think there's a lot to be learnt and you know, kind of take all of this with a grain of salt. There's, there's bits and pieces in this book where it's like, okay, I'm not, I'm not sure how much sense that makes. Uh, will this actually apply to me or to my loved ones or my situation? Probably not. So maybe I can just, you know, if, if there's something that's said in there, I don't have to do that. So all of that being said, I'm going to give the book On Grief and Grieving, Finding the Meaning of Grief Through the Five Stages of Loss by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross and David Kessler, a solid seven out of 10. I think there's something to be taken from this for, for most people, for sure. And that is it for today, my memorialized. Thank you for joining me to this part of the audio. What are your thoughts on, on grief and grieving, on, on death, on loss, on dying, on this book in particular? Have you read it on the five stages of grief? I'd love to know all of those things. The best way to do that is via sending in a Boostergram. So a Boostergram is a message you can send within the actual podcasting app that you are listening on. Uh, this goes directly to me and I can see it and respond to it in a uh, adequate manner because I always uh, read out these in the end of month book recap. I can thank you for supporting because when you send a message in one of these apps, uh, go to newpodcastapps.com or podcastapps.com, you'll be able to send a little bit of Bitcoin with that, a payment for the services that I've provided with creating all of these book reviews. I follow the value for value model. You are free to accept this, to listen to this and not ever respond, have any interaction with me at all. That is uh, totally, totally fine if you want to do that. But if you got some value from this, I just ask that you return it in some shape, form or manner. So you could do this by sharing it with a friend or by, you know, getting back to me via one of the social media platforms and telling me how you have experienced grief and how this book helped you or didn't help you or what you experienced of giving me advice on how to improve the book reviews on on what books uh, you think I might also enjoy of recommendations of all these sorts of things and then as I mentioned via the boostergrams by uh, helping support this podcast directly because it does take a lot of time energy effort and it does take some money to help for the hosting, for the cameras, for time, for all of these sorts of things. So, yep, I really do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the world. Until the next time, Karen out.